personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds. They call me the Data Diva. This is the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world with information that businesses need to know now. I have a special guest on the show uh, from Italy, Zacharias Volgaris. He is a data science consultant, an author, a mentor in data science and data analytics, and I'm happy to have him on the show. Hello, Zacharias. Hello, Debbie, and thanks for having me. This is great. So I actually, uh, you and I have been connected on LinkedIn for a very long time. I really love your content and things that you put out. Um, I'm actually going to be on your podcast coming up pretty soon, and I thought it'd be great to have you on my podcast. So I'm happy that we're able to do this. Um, You have such a breadth of knowledge uh, in technology and data, and that's why I love to see your content and the things that you're working on. Your podcast is called Analytics and Privacy. Uh, I highly recommend people check it out. It's really cool. Um, also, you have a book uh, that's, that's out right now. It's called The Data Path Less Traveled uh, by Techniques uh, Publications. And also, that book is available on Amazon, correct? That's right. Excellent. Well, you, you have a fascinating background, and I would love to have you tell the listeners like how you got into the data space, you know, what things interest you about analytics. Obviously you're, you know, your PhD in computer science and, you know, you just had a very interesting trajectory on kind of the data path, but just tell us how, you know, what got you interested in sort of data, uh, data analytics and how does, how does that impact you in terms of privacy? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, ever since I was uh, a kid, I was very fascinated by numbers and mathematics. And uh, at one point, my father gave me this scientific calculator, which had this advanced functionality. And it could also gather data and do some basic statistics with it. So uh, I was experimenting with it. I was fascinated. And I said, OK, well, maybe I should take this a bit farther beyond the calculator level. So I learned computer programming with high, a high-level language that was popular at the time, quick basic, and uh, learned more about analyzing data and and getting something useful out of it. And after I saw that there is real value to be added through data analytics in uh, various engineering applications, because I studied engineering and management first, uh, I said, okay, maybe I should do this more seriously, like uh, do a master's or something. So because I couldn't wait until then, I started using analytics even before I and my my thesis actually for my for my degree was uh, an analysis of the IT sector of uh, small and medium sized companies in Greece, and uh, I was really fascinated by the techniques. It didn't feel like work to me because many people struggle with doing a thesis like a whole semester just that. But for me, it was like the best part of the whole uh, degree. And after that, uh, going into IT more. Uh, specifically information systems and technology, I got into into the the more serious business aspect of uh, this beyond just a a project and and going into the implications of uh, data 
in a, in a business in terms of data data warehouses and databases and uh, and other places where people store data, how people model data. I learned about data modeling, for example, and uh, and how to design a good application around data. So I learned uh, more about programming there through Java, uh, JavaScript as well. Um, of course, HTML, CSS, and a bit of PHP were part of the curriculum too. And afterwards, I said, okay, maybe we should take this a, bit, a step farther. And I did my PhD. And beyond that, it was all about data science and machine learning because at that time it was becoming a thing uh, as a field. Uh, analytics, advanced analytics in, in this way, in a data-driven way, uh, were referred to as machine learning and uh, data science. So I focused on that and uh, decided to take this as a career path. Now, later on, I realized that you know data is amazing and you can do great things with it, but you also have to respect the people behind it. It's not just numbers or text or whatever. It's also people's private information that is there in those databases. And when you analyze it, you have to really treat it carefully so that it doesn't leak in some way. Because with the advent of AI and uh, other advanced predictive modeling, it was possible and fairly easy to be able to, to get into those um, fields that you didn't want anyone to get to and uh, expose people's identities, for example. That's fascinating. Uh, tell me about, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I feel like there's a disconnect um, around data and human stuff. <laughs> so I feel as though there's a school of thought. It's like, okay, we program things, we use data to make decisions, and then we're sort of divorced from the responsibility of what impact, uh, especially a negative impact that that this work may have on individuals. What, what are your thoughts about that? That's a very good point. And I'm glad you mentioned it because many people think that, okay, all those data people, they understand everything else too. <laughs> they are like, everyone else, but they just know data too. No, unfortunately, many people in this field, um, I'm ashamed to say, are not really that good with understanding the impact of their work, uh, especially the negative impact. And they don't really understand that there are certain protocols that should be in place to respect the people behind the data and uh, the processes and uh, the ethics of it all. And um, it, is, it is a disparity for sure between the data work and the real world. That's why I believe there's a, an array of different roles that have been introduced in the past few years, such as a data storyteller who tries to bridge the gap between the two and communicate what the data scientist finds and uh, what what's there in the business world that has something to do with these findings and how these insights can be applied. Uh, in other areas like data analytics, like the, the the simpler analytics, this gap is not so big. So the data storyteller is not that necessary. But whenever there is advanced modeling, like AI-based systems and things like that, uh, it's often the case that you need an extra role for that. Other times, there may be a data strategist involved who may be able to, to prioritize the different things that a data scientist or, or a team of analysts can do. And put everything in a way that makes sense from a business perspective, aligning the data work with the data strategy, which is like the, the link between the data world and the business world. Because at the end of the day, every company or every organization 
has some kind of strategy in place uh, if they are to do something useful with what they have. And that strategy has to really incorporate data strategy and data work. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Also, I think one thing that we're seeing, I I saw recently, well, uh, I think it's happened again in a different place, but uh, there was a case in Australia where a company had, uh, I think it was 7-Eleven, had used, had this tablet uh, that they had people signing up for kind of coupons or different like loyalty programs. But this tablet that people use, it will like capture their, you know, biometric information and they're using it for other purposes. So I feel like uh, another gap I see is between people who just want to take on these innovations, right? You know, uh, uh, implement these new cool technologies, but then they don't understand kind of what their responsibility is in the use and not really clearly defining for individuals what what these tools are doing with their data. That's a very good point. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very easy to get carried away with technology. And this has happened before, but, but now it is happening at a larger scale. And uh, that's the problem of it, because if it's a few isolated cases around the world, you can handle them somehow. You can find them, first of all, easily and, and deal with them individually. But if this happens at scale, it's really hard to, to get uh, get a grip on the problem and deal with it in a meaningful way. So, yeah, I mean, just because you can collect data doesn't mean that you should collect it in the easiest way. That may seem obvious to you as a, as a, someone who's looking to get the data, uh, but doesn't understand there are also implications about the privacy aspects of it. So uh, the data acquisition part may seem like trivial for us because we, we focus more on the analytics side. Okay, what do we do with the data? What insights can we get? What kind of models can we build? But data acquisition is very important. And you know you can't really do anything in analytics if you don't have the data first. So oftentimes we don't really pay as much attention as it is required to this part of the pipeline. And uh, other times it is done by other people altogether, like many data engineers, for example, are responsible for acquisition too. And uh, maybe even um, developers are involved in the whole process. So we don't really think about it that much. But whoever is involved in this part of the pipeline, I believe they have a responsibility towards the people behind the data and a kind of ethical respect that they need to apply when dealing with that data. Because even after you get the data, you have to make sure that it's governed properly and it doesn't leak and it doesn't um, get access uh, from people who shouldn't have access. So then it becomes a data governance problem, but it's still someone's responsibility. You can't really say, ah, okay, well, the technology is to blame because the technology cannot be taken to the court, but somebody in that company will be taken for sure if that um, escalates into a scandal and the company is exposed because especially nowadays, people are very sensitive about their data and with many leaks having taken place and still taking place, around the world, even in larger organizations, people are aware of that and they don't, they don't tolerate it. Not, nor do, should they tolerate it, I believe. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, I want your thoughts about, uh, you know, what, what I call sort of big, big data or the big data age. So 
I remember when people started talking about big data and they were trying to implement systems that gathered all this data and they were going to, you know, take all this data and they were going to put it in some system and it was going to spit out these insights. And a lot of people at that point were saying, you know, we just need as much data as possible. Like we can't like get these insights without like tons of data. So that created an age, in my view, of like this indiscriminate data collection and indiscriminate data processing. So the idea is let's just get as much data as we can and then we'll do whatever we want with it where we're seeing regulations now that are asking uh, companies to be a little bit more circumspect in terms of how, what they collect, why they collect it and sort of what, you know, what they intend to do or what insights they intend to gain from the data that they collect? What are your thoughts? I think this was inevitable and it is something uh, essential because um, when people realize that, you know, all models, regardless of where they're coming from, tend to perform better when they have more data, they started collecting more data. Also, even people who didn't have analytics in mind so data collection is as the first step to, to a data-driven kind of operation. So they said, okay, well, let's start collecting the data now. And maybe in the future, in the next five years, we'll do something about it. But it's good to have it because when we start using it, we'll need to have historical data. So why not start collecting it? And because there were so many good um, success stories with big data, uh, especially with larger companies that had literally... <laughs> terabytes and, um, and beyond of data at a time when a terabyte was inconceivable. So imagine everybody was working with small data sets in Excel and some people had like terabytes. And now those people have a million times more and they can do amazing things with the data. But more data doesn't necessarily mean better results, at least for you and me. Maybe for a large organization that has a clear idea of what to do with this data and has the right people and also the right tools to analyze this data properly, maybe they can do wonders with it. I have no doubt. Like the more data you have, the better your models are going to be, yes. And if you have good people uh, handling those models, building those models, testing those models, maintaining those models, they're going to, to gain lots of value out of them. But for the average organization, I don't think you need big data. And... Uh, it sounds like an oxymoron, but sometimes less data may be better if that data that you have is targeted towards what you want to do. Uh, and Bernard Marr, who wrote the, the book on data strategy, and he has actually a nice course about uh, this topic, he also highlighted this point that, you know, it's good to have more data. Yeah, if you have big data, that's amazing. But first of all, have a good idea of what you want to do. Have a good uh, objective that you try to fill and then look at the data. Don't start with the data and say, ah, let's collect as much as possible because that, that data, apart from the fact that it's a liability, as you mentioned, there is also a cost, a hidden cost behind it because not just collecting it, but also storing it, maintaining it. If you want this data to, to exist in, in a meaningful way for, for a five-year period, for example, you have to make sure that you continue to collect it. All of these fields or if you are getting it from an external vendor, you have to, to pay some fees because they're not going to give it to you for free. And of course, there's the, the legal liability as well, because what if the legal regulations change 
and you are the owner of the data, you have to, to really be sure that you don't abuse it and break any laws. Many people nowadays break privacy laws even without realizing it. And uh, that's something that I think we need to, to be aware of, that more data may be great for the models, but it's not always good for the organization. So that's why we need to, to have the more holistic view of the whole data scape. Uh, it's not just data for the models, it's also data for the organization for specific objectives that it tries to, to achieve and uh, within given uh, timeframes. Right. I like to tell companies that if they have data, especially data they're retaining for a long period of time, if it has a low business value, it has a high like privacy risk or a cyber risk. Uh, because a lot of times companies, they don't protect that data, that older data, in the same way that they collect or they protect the data that they're you know, actually utilizing on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, have a, I have a question about data quality. So what I'm seeing, and I, I want your thoughts on this, um, one benefit that I think that, that companies will have as a result of this more prescriptive way that, that uh, jurisdictions are wanting people to go about data collection and data retention is that if they if they do this right, I think that they can greatly improve their data quality um, because they're getting better data, right? More accurate data, data that people want to give to them or, or they see a benefit in. And so I want to want your thoughts on, uh, first of all, if you think that I'm correct and then if, if, how you think that that would help people in data and analytics. That's also a very good point. The data quality is something people don't really think about too much because you say, okay, well, if I have a million variables, at least some of them must be good, right? But there is one of the V's in big data that characterize good big data, especially, and that's veracity. Like, is the data reliable? Because you may have lots of data collected from an app, from a website, uh, from a survey, or from a bunch of other sources. But if the data doesn't really mirror reality, what good is it? It's just taking up space on the servers or the cloud. It's not really adding any value. And some analysts may be able to do something with it. There's no doubt about that. But will the result be reliable? Because there is insight that can drive decisions, and there is insight that is just interesting. Uh, if, the, if the person who analyzes the data takes data seriously, right, and they really trust it, they invest in that and they create a product. And that product may be a model that predicts things based on that data. If the data is not good, there's not good quality, that product is not going to be any, of any use. It will predict nonsense. It will give you gibberish. And um, it's not going to help drive any good decisions. So it may seem on the surface that it's adding value, but in the long run, it's not going to be sustainable. It is probably going to cost the organization in one way or another. For example, if, if that particular data set that uh, we have developed on poor quality data is supposed to help us predict the sales, it may predict completely different sales than what we experience. And then we won't be able to prepare for the actual sales. And we may end up uh, at a loss or we may end up not being able to handle the demand. 
So it is very, very important for any organization to have good quality data. And that good quality is not going to come from having lots of data necessarily, although that might help in some cases, but it will come from uh, being able to collect data in the right way, with the right processes. Uh, ideally, <clears throat> if you could do that, you would want to you would want to collect the data yourself. Uh, if that's not possible because you don't want to bother with sensors or uh, build data acquisition pipelines, then you can get the data from some other source. And in that case, it would be fairly easier because the risk is not on your hands necessarily, but at the same time, it would be like a, a running cost. So there are pros and cons in different ways of acquiring data, but it's better to have fewer variables and of good quality than to have many of them that are not really helping anyone. Excellent. What is happening in privacy right now or what's happening in data right now that concerns you most? Uh, there's so many things, but uh, if I were to pick one, I would say that uh, there is this, uh, this uh, misunderstanding that data analytics, especially advanced data analytics, can do wonders. And that's the biggest misconception, I think, in the field, because potentially it can do wonders, but it doesn't mean that it will, because it greatly depends on the data. If you don't have good quality data, as we talked about just now, uh, what good will a good model do? The, the good model may be able to, to find a good mapping of the data you have with what you're trying to predict, for example. Or it may find a good uh, exploratory model so to under, you can understand the data better. But all of the insights and the predictions that may come about from the model might be useless. And, and the analyst may not be able to understand that because for us, it's all about some metrics, some heuristics that we use to understand what, what's happening with the data. But th there needs to be like an outside view of the whole matter to better understand what's happening and if it really helps anyone. Because what good is a data model if it cannot be applied anywhere? Like you may have the, the best model in the world, and you may be able to communicate the results perfectly, but if the, the data is not good enough or if it's not relevant enough to what the organization tries to accomplish, then it's useless. That, that's why I think it's very important. It's probably paramount to have a data strategy in place first and then get the analytics going afterwards, then get the data going. Because collecting data blindly and trying to make sense of it may or may not be alt value. But if you have a clear idea of where you're going, you're better equipped to finding the right way to get there, be it through a specific set of models, through a specific uh, methodology, uh, and through a specific data set or two. Excellent. Uh, I, I want your thoughts about this. So the UK, uh, uh, has proposal to create more accountability in AI. Um, and, and one of the things that they want people to do when they're creating like AI models is to be able to say in, in plain terms, you know, what is the artificial intelligence that you're using? You know, what data are you using for, for that? And then what are your expected 
results of you know running data through this AI model. And even though that sounds very simple, it's not as easy as it sounds, right? Um, um, uh, and, and the thing that concerns me most is that we have people using AI models and they are receiving unexpected results, right? So they, some of them say, oh, I don't know what this model is going to do, or, you know, I didn't know it was having this result, but then they may be taking that, that information and still be making decisions, possibly harmful decisions about people related based on kind of what these AI models and what their data sets are saying. What are your thoughts? That's a, that's a very big topic. Perhaps maybe we can analyze that more in another episode. But uh, the topic of AI is, is a big thing. And if UK is uh, figuring it out now, that doesn't mean that it's a new problem. Uh, I remember reading about this a couple of years ago, at least, from a friend of mine who works for uh, the EU. Uh, and there is like a series of documents there about the ethics of AI and uh, about our AI, responsible AI, and uh, things like that. So this is not a new problem, and it's not the first time it has um, been attempted to solve. Um, it's, it's a very deep problem, and it's not really the AI that is the problem itself. It's, it's really the, the fact that the AI is not uh, clear about how it's doing what it's doing and, and what it's doing when the data is not what it expects. So there is this thing called uh, data drift, for example, in machine learning, when you have data that is different from what you have used before to train your model. And this happens, and this allows the model to perform worse. So there's a drift in the performance. And that's one of the biggest problems in data model maintenance. Uh, with AI, it's, it's more obvious because AI models tend to, to go for very high performance. So even if there's a slight drop in the performance, it will be more noticeable in that case. And the fact that they can't really explain at all what's happening there under the hood of that model, even if you have built the model yourself, you won't be able to explain what's happening there. Uh, that makes things more complicated because it's bad enough that there is a problem of data quality falling as time goes by, especially if there are many new users using that particular model. But also the fact that if something goes wrong, you can't debug it easily. That, that makes it a liability more than anything else. Nevertheless, it doesn't mean that all AI systems have this issue. It's just that whenever you really want to make decisions and you want to be able to understand the why behind their decisions, uh, the AI may not be able to help you very much. So uh, there is a solution for this, fortunately, but it's still in the works. There is no... There is no um, production-ready model for this yet, uh, but the methodology is being investigated, and that has to do with transparent AI or explainable AI, as it's sometimes called. And that that may that is promising to solve a lot of these problems because you'll be able to pinpoint if there's a problem early on, and also if there's a problem, you'll be able to understand where it stems from exactly. What do you feel like? You know, I, I like to work with people who are in data fields. So regardless of what they are doing in those fields, I think it's really cool. So I like the way that, you know, privacy folks can work with data science people 
uh, like yourself. But tell me, you know, where 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 do those uh, those two disciplines um, kind of intersect? And how do you see, you know, your role helping, you know, kind of data privacy professionals? Uh, well, for the first part of your question, I would say wherever there is um, some explainability involved, where we try to understand where why things are the way they are, how decisions are made based on the data, that's something that involves both fields because it's all about the variables in that case. In many cases, this is not uh, possible because the variables are obscured. And that's one layer of privacy that is evident and it's often required. Now, some people do that because they have to and other people do it because they just do it. They don't really think about it. Ideally, both of these kind of professionals would talk to each other and they would coordinate. So nobody would be doing something that may expose someone's privacy. And at the same time, when somebody's masking variables, for example, or uh, combining variables in a way that cannot be traced to the original variables, uh, then they will be doing it for the right reasons, not, not just because they can do it. Okay, uh, Because it, it's, there's a cost involved in everything. So why not make the most uh, strategic decision about it first and then start doing stuff instead of just doing it and hope for the best. Uh, so for the second question, I would say that uh, th there is no clear gap between the two professions after a certain level. And I believe after, you, after being in a field like data science for a while, it's impossible to disregard the privacy aspect. Like you, you can't do that. Otherwise, you're not really doing service to the field. Um, and I imagine someone who also delves into privacy, they understand analytics to some extent. So there is, there is a bridge that is forming on those high levels. The challenge is having this connection in the lower levels as well. And I think this can be done easily through good leadership. So the, starting from the CTO perhaps, or the chief science officer, or whoever is responsible for all these pipelines in an organization, make sure that it's communicated everywhere across all or levels of the analytics departments that uh, privacy is to be respected and to be taken into account in everything. So that everyone, even the junior level analysts can uh, have an idea of why this is important and what they can do to their in their level about preserving it. And the same can be done in the from the privacy uh, side of things. Like the, the privacy professionals from on all levels, the, if, if there's a better understanding of what the data professionals do and, and why, there will be a better match and a better collaboration and communication. I agree with that. I think I'm hoping that the trend is changing now um, because I think early on, in, in my view, the way people thought about attacking the, the issue of privacy was to let's create all these policies and procedures and then let's try to figure out how it connects to what we're actually doing. 
where I think the best way to, to do it is sort of follow the data, look at what you're doing with the data, and then try to make sure that your policies or procedures align with what you're actually doing. What are your thoughts? I agree with that. That makes good sense. Uh, if you have um, integrated the why of something, you don't really need the policies that much. Although in the beginning, they may be useful to understand the why. But I think relying too much on external policies and regulations may cause the whole thing to become a bit rigid. While if we understand the value of preserving privacy uh, and the value of analytics as well, then this would happen organically. Uh, I'll give you an example from the privacy world. There are regulations about how a password should be. Like should have upper case letters, lowercase letters, numbers, symbols, and has to be at least eight characters long. Yeah, this is this is a good guideline or set of guidelines rather. But is it really essential? Like if somebody understands the concepts of entropy, for example, and uh, time to guess a password nowadays, they would naturally try to make passwords that are complicated and difficult to guess. So they wouldn't need to follow strict guidelines like this, but they would just make a very long string of words that they can remember easily, which has probably a much higher entropy than some eight-letter password that, that ticks all the boxes of the guidelines. And on the, on the plus sign of this is that you'll be able to remember this password without having to write it down anywhere because it's just a string of words which may be meaningful to you, but not to somebody who tries to guess the password. So that's why it's important to understand the why of something before you, you start doing stuff in this area. I think, you know, I, I think you're right. Understanding the why is very important. I think um, traditionally, it hasn't been the case where explainability is needed or is is or companies have been as open to uh, explainability in these issues because a lot of times people thought, well, it's just data. So, you know, the data is going to tell its own story. Right. And we know that that's not the way it goes. And then I think companies having more clarity on sort of what they're collecting and why they're collecting it will help narrow their risk in, in a lot of ways because instead of just having this indiscriminate kind of data grab and kind of keeping everything forever, we're saying, you know, collect less data, collect more relevant data, uh, really think through why you need it and then helping people uh, with what they're doing with data on the retention side is important. Exactly, yeah. Because this, this way it's more targeted and it makes it also easier on the analytics side because you don't have to deal with too many variables. You don't have to deal with uh, too many data sets. And it's easier on, uh, for everyone involved because the data will be cleaner, will be more uh, meaningful in many ways. I have had students who were getting into analytics and data science as well. And sometimes they were puzzled with these big data sets. And it, it makes sense if you think about it, because for me, they were not really that big. But uh, for someone starting off, they seemed very, very complicated because they had a bunch of different variables and uh, they didn't know what to do with all this. Now, if this data set was smaller, they would be able to do their analysis much faster. 
And, and this would happen in every level as well, not just for the junior analysts and data scientists, but also for someone in the senior level. So instead of having like a million different variables, if we just had 1,000, for example, it would make things so much easier because naturally we wouldn't go through them one by one. But even if we were to go in an automated way, which would be the case, uh, it would be much easier on the computational side. It wouldn't take too long to analyze all the variables and, and, and figure out what kind of liabilities they may conceal. Because if these variables come from PII, then uh, they need to be treated differently. For example, through anonymization, pseudonymization, and many other uh, methodologies. So if it was the world according to Zacharias, and we did everything that you said, what would be your wish for privacy or data science anywhere in the world right now? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I would say that I would wish that um, everybody understood the whole thing from different angles. Uh, now we tend to go into a lot of depth about different technologies, different methods and algorithms, and all that is fascinating and it's really worth pursuing, but it's easy to lose sight of the bigger picture. But if we were all to to have a good idea of the bigger picture, uh, we would first of all be able to communicate better, would be able to collaborate better. There would be lower risks to take because we'd be, we would know what we were doing better. And also at the end of the day, why are we doing all this for? This is for the end user. So the end user would, would be bound to be more content. So that, that would have an effect to, for everyone. And especially, those people who take the risks, those people who are held responsible for all that stuff. So it's not good just for all the people who deal with the data or people who get the fruits of, of all this work, but also for the people who lead these operations. And this can be a very stressful and difficult position to be in. But if everybody had a good idea of, of the bigger picture, there was more transparency in everything, I think it would be better for everyone and for the field overall, because when somebody would try to advance the field through some new method, some new uh, methodology even, uh, they would understand things from different perspectives and be able to contribute in different ways. I agree with that. I think, you know, we need to have more cross-disciplinary conversations and discussions and understanding. I think that definitely will help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it was, it was great to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I am looking forward to seeing your book as well. Uh, and your podcast is amazing. So I know a lot of people should definitely check it out. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's, it's great talking with you uh, about anything data and privacy related. And uh, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the book once you take a look at it. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. So, well, yeah, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.